So I want you to go back and think about detention, whether that's detention that you may have experienced as a naughty, naughty student or as a teacher, maybe you assigned detention or a principal, you know, you assigned one uh, to some kids playing around the hallway or whatever. But how is that space and time usually utilized? You know, today's conversation with Dr. Tuana Burroughs, uh, she moved from the city to the suburbs, found herself in trouble and in detention for math class. And her experience in detention was uh, uncommon. I, it shouldn't be. <laughs> this is one of those things you'll hear. And it's like common sense. And maybe listening, you'll be like, oh yeah, that's how I run them. But I think too often d- detention is just like, it's all punitive and maybe kids get some work done and that kind of thing. But it's not necessarily about relationship building. So that got me thinking, huh, if this was an insight for me, in all the years that I've had in education, all the good things that you listen to me for, maybe it'll be an insight for you too. And then I got to thinking too, there's, there's times when we sort of give a detention to our staff, right? They don't get a detention, but we have to have hard conversations. Uh, and there's times, right, that, that there's discipline involved and that kind of stuff. And yeah, there's a punitive side to it, but how do we take some of those I want to call them icky, but you know, just hard conversations and hard experiences. How do we flip those into relationship building ones? I think that's an interesting idea to noodle on today as a ruckus maker. Hey, I'm Danny. I am a principal development and retention expert. I founded BLBS back in 2015 because I wanted to change education and I wanted to change myself. I'm also a best-selling author, and I host two of the world's most downloaded podcasts. This is one of them. And this show is made for ruckus makers, which means you are invested in your continuous growth. Never give up. Always keep learning. You want to challenge the status quo, and you want to design the future of education now. And we'll be right back after a few messages from our show sponsors. Learn how to successfully navigate change, shape your school's success, and lead your teams with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Get world-class Harvard faculty research specifically adapted for pre-K through 12 schools. Self-paced online professional development that fits your schedule. Get started at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. Even the most highly effective ruckus maker can't be in all classrooms offering incredible feedback all the time. So what if teachers could gather their own feedback without relying on you? And not only their own feedback, but meaningful feedback that would improve their instruction. Well, check out the TeachFX app by visiting teachfx.com forward slash better leaders, and you can pilot their program today. Go to teachfx.com forward slash better leaders to see how. If executive functioning skills are integral to student success, then why aren't they taught explicitly and consistently in classrooms? I have no idea. I have no idea why that doesn't happen. But what I do know is that our friends over at Organized Binder have created a new course that will teach your teachers how to set up students for success via executive functioning skills. Learn more at organizedbinder.com slash go. 
Ruckus Makers. I am here today with Dr. Tawana Burroughs, who's the president of Coach Diversity Institute. She's a best-selling author, trainer, and certified professional coach based in Washington, D.C. As a much sought-after executive coach, Tawana and the Coach Diversity team deliver training curriculum and customized diversity and leadership programs for corporate and individual clients. Coach Diversity Institute ranked number 524 on the 2021 Inc. 5000 as one of the fastest growing private companies in the United States. Tawana is a trusted partner and problem solver for many clients, tackling morale, employee retention, employee engagement, employee performance, and development. She has a doctor of education from the University of Pennsylvania, a master's of science and education from the University of Pennsylvania, and a bachelor's degree in chemistry from Howard University. Dr. Burroughs, welcome to the show. Oh, it's so great to be here with you. Uh, it's been, it feels like um, uh, the year is like in the summer already, right, Danny? It's like we're just closing the first quarter. I feel like it's August. <laughs> For sure. And where I live in Syracuse, New York, you know, they, it, it depends. Like it might snow tomorrow, right? And then tomorrow, uh, the, in two days, it'll be like 80. So who knows, right? I hear what you're saying. Uh, I, I want to start in, if you could bring us back, Tawana, to seventh grade, right? You had a seventh grade math teacher change how you showed up as a student and fall in love with math. What's the story there? Oh, you know, I will never forget Mr. T. Mr. T inherited a very uh, disruptive girl from the city. We moved from the city to the suburbs and I was a city girl. And I entered this little classroom um, kind of like a disruptor in a negative way. But he also recognized the power of my influence as a negative disruptor. And um, he decided to put me in detention and mm-hmm. said that I had to stay after class, after school, for four, you know, top four days uh, where I could just be completely captivated by his <laughs> attention. But I'm going to tell you something. We spent those four uh, detention hours getting to know one another, building respect, because he needed to kind of break through the barrier that I had, the wall that I had up for being very, feeling like I didn't belong, feeling like I didn't belong in the suburban community, feel like I didn't, there was no identities that looked any familiar to me, but he recognized I was pretty smart. And so this uh, teacher broke through the ice, had me to fall in love with math and we started with algebra, fell in love with it. And I never stopped loving math since then. Mr. T was so special to me and uh, he he got the job done. <laughs> That's great. I can relate in, a, in a, a little bit. I loved math as well. Okay. Middle school, high school, straight A's. And then I get to the University of Illinois. I'm not doing so hot in math. And I, I'm, I got my first D ever, right? Yeah. Uh, Calculus BC or whatever it was, you know, it was cumulative and I just, I struggled, right? So that was hard for me. But the real reason, I just want to share this because it's funny. The real reason I, sh- I, <laughs> I switched from math to English, there's two. One, uh, I did this, I did this uh, recital of a poem in class and the, the professor was blind and he had all his poems memorized, right? The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. And he loved my reading, right? And that like, that really meant something to me. So that was number one. And I was like, okay, that's cool. But number two, to what I don't know what it was like at 
at Howard and the University of Pennsylvania. But I noticed something similar about all the guys that came out of Altgeld Hall, which was the math, the math place, right? Now they had plaid on, which I am wearing. Okay. So I'm, I'm aware of that. And they had pocket protectors, thick glasses. But I noticed that all of them, zero, none of them ever had a date. And so I was like, okay, I'm done. No more math. I'm going to English. And that's literally how I picked uh, <laughs> what I was going to teach. All right. Back to Mr. T, you seventh grade. He sees some in you that you're very intelligent uh, and obviously a leader, although you're, you, know, you said you were being a negative disruptor at the time. You said he spent those detentions actually getting to know you, which I think like, I don't remember hearing that in the intro call. And that's so wise of him to build that connection. Because I think most, most teachers, they just like detention and you're in trouble. You know what I mean? And some type of punishment. But do you remember, like, how do you get to know you during detention? Yes. What his first objective was to get me to understand that he was on my side. Mm. Um, he wanted to uh, give me comfort and knowing that he wanted to see me succeed. So his uh, idea was to, water, let me figure out how you think. Let me figure out what's important to you. Um, I was very mature for my age. I grew up in the city of Washington, D.C. There's a lot of crime, a lot of uh, drugs, um, a lot of need to protect and defend. And so in his space, he recognized the challenge and he leveraged it because I was extremely wise, wiser than my peers in the classroom. And so our conversations were so branched off in so many different ways. We talked about building relationships, friendships, family uh, situations. And I think around math, as I was practicing, you know, math is a, about represent, you know, repetition and, you know, especially in starting in algebra, you're repeating the same formulas again and again. And with that repetition in between, we just strike up different types of conversation. He was masterful at getting to know me and respecting and appreciating what I brought to the table, what I brought to the classroom. And once he validated validated me and saw my true uh, self behind the, uh, the defensiveness, I recognized that leadership was natural and he showed me how, he showed me why. And our relationship continued in, as I moved into eighth grade. And then of course, I would always visit back at middle school when I moved into high school. So that relationship lasted on time. Now, one thing he did have going for him is that he had a son who was also in the seventh grade with me and he, uh, his son and I were already good friends. And I guess it just became, tell me a little bit more about that girl, Tawana, you know? So he, he had for insider tea, I guess you could say as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Thank you for sharing. And uh, will, you, will you talk to me about playing small and, and how you think about that concept? Uh, talking to me about playing small, I kind of bridging off that uh, story about Mr. T. You know, that was an example of me playing small and not recognizing mm. it. I think the fear of, of uh, not getting it right, the fear of success. Sometimes if I am successful, then I will be held accountable to succeed at this level again and again. And do I have the stamina to produce at this level again and again? Mm. Playing small uh, was something that was comfortable. So my opinion about playing small is meeting students where they are, regarding how they view their spaces. You know, what what do they want to sign up for? What are they willing to be accountable to? Meeting them there and then building the blocks of confidence that would allow them to explore more or do more. 
But playing small is something I'm very familiar with. But again, it comes down to those common fears. Do you ever see that when you're when you're working and supporting leaders through your, your work at Coach Diversity Institute? Absolutely. I think, you know, many of the uh, sessions that I'll do, I have a slide that I call common fears. It's they typically don't associate common fear with how they receive feedback, their willingness to uh, push accountability because they have a need to um, be respected. Uh, They have a fear of not being right. They have a fear. There's so many fears. And so when you break down the common fears as it you related to how you lead, you start to notice the common denominator, which will then reveal how do you work within that fact that fear is a constant companion. It's going to continue to exist. The question is, how long will you allow fear, that type of fear, to control your moment? Yeah, right. So let's let's talk about your work at Coach Diversity Institute a bit. And I know you support leaders in making cultural shifts. Uh, can you talk about what that looks like when you are working with schools? Oh, I, some of my favorite uh, clients are actually the school districts. And I, um, I get great pleasure working with educators and uh, especially uh, the, the leaders of the, the school systems. The work that we typically do is getting them to use the coach approach to the classroom or the coach approach to helping teachers as they design their uh, learning for the students, that connect to students and helping them to uh, increase that level of professional development that's needed. Especially when today and time where you are working harder with less resources, and that's consistent in education. And because that's a common theme or consistent theme, and you know that's not really going anywhere, what is it that you can do or what you need to do to increase engagement and performance? And it starts with very similar to what we said earlier is making sure you've communicated how much value your teachers and your staff bring to the classes, bring to the schools. The value conversation, the appreciation and respect conversation is something we need. I've learned that we've had to uptick when we work with educators who are in the leader's position. We've getting, getting them to understand the coach approaches, changing your language so that people feel valued, respected, and appreciated, especially when you know you can't do much more. There are no raises or bonuses or anything like that. What do you do? You increase the validation. You increase that support. And I'm not talking about that, you know, corny rah-rah, we can do it like a pep rally. But it's truly understanding that these people, we need you without you, you know. Um, But on an individual basis, what you do specifically to this team, what you deliver specifically to the classroom is where I'm talking. Yeah, I'm I'm hearing you, I think. Uh, So if I reflect back and correct me, any errors I make, but it's that specific praise that lands with people, right? Versus generic, you know, and let's be excited or whatever. But like, here's exactly what you're doing in the larger scheme of things, maybe even how it's connected, mission, vision, values, uh, and why it's why it's so important. Cool, cool. Yeah. So we're talking about coaching, right? With with uh, school leaders and their staff. Maybe the leader's a natural coach, maybe not, but I assume there's some common missteps and misses, right? That that are made. What what do you think those are? Yeah, so we are we find most frequently that leaders don't have when we talk to them about, oh, I'm so busy, I don't have enough time for all this individual support or this individual engagement. 
And I always remind them, if you don't have time um, to do this, you will never have time. And so let me teach you how to get time back. You get time back by keeping people accountable to why they were hired, connecting them to their passion, connecting them to their purpose as to what makes you wake up in the morning to show up here every day and tying those values to that calling or that purpose. And if you don't do that, you'll never get time back because then you end up load balancing what other people feel that they don't want to do anymore because they're not motivated, can't do anymore because they don't feel supported. And then you as the leader are load balancing. So multiply that by all the teachers you have or all the people you have in school. Now, what used to be you being 100% leader-focused vision there for the system, you're now managing classrooms, helping support individual teachers or staff members who have decided, you know what, I'm only feeling like 80% today. That time is sucked up because you're not connecting and getting them to be more accountable by tying, like I said, tying the vision and purpose together. Gotcha. I'm enjoying our conversation, Tawana. We're going to take a quick break for some messages from our sponsors. On the other side, I'd love to ask you about uncovering unseen diversity that exists in your organization. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is proudly sponsored by Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. I know many mastermind members and many ruckus makers who listen to this show that have gone through the program and have loved the experience. But don't just take it from me. Let's hear how some of the Harvard faculty describe the impact and their heart for this program. Leadership is joyful work, empowering others to do their best work. Principals do that with teachers and teachers do that with students and empowering others to educate themselves or to be educated is just one of the most important things we can do in this world. Building, We're building people. We're building the next generation of leaders and educators. Learn more about the program and apply at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. In post-pandemic classrooms, student talk is crucial. And when classrooms come alive with conversation, teachers and students both thrive. TeachFX helps teachers make it happen. The TeachFX instructional coaching app provides insights into student talk, effective questions, and classroom conversation quality. TeachFX professional development complements the app and empowers teachers with best practices for generating meaningful student discourse. Teachers using TeachFX increase their student talk by an average of 40%. Imagine that. 40% more ownership over the class by students. Ruckus makers can pilot TeachFX with their teachers. Visit teachfx.com slash better leaders to learn how. That's teachfx.com forward slash better leaders. If your students are struggling to stay focused and your teachers are showing signs of burnout, you need to act now. The good news is that there's a path forward. It is possible to lay the foundation for learning and to re-energize your teachers, and that's found in executive functioning skills. When students get practice with these skills, they can better self-regulate and they are more successful academically. Our friends at Organized Binder have released a new self-paced course that will teach you how to teach these executive functioning skills and set your students up for success. The goal of this course is to help your students be more successful and get teachers back to the work 
they are called to do. Learn more at organizedbinder.com slash go. Help your students be more successful and get your teachers back to the work they're called to at organizedbinder.com slash go. And we're back with Dr. Tawana Burroughs, president of Coach Diversity Institute. And uh, before the break, I was asking you about uh, uncovering unseen diversity that could exist within organizations. Uh, yeah, so how, how do we do that? You know, some of the things that I, I, I recently, it's funny how you bring this up, Danny. I recently created an uh, image of an iceberg. We're all familiar with right. the iceberg idea. Sure, sure. Um, above the waterline are all the visible diversity traits that we typically see, you know, race, gender. Uh, and so that's above the line. It's what's below the line that makes the difference for anyone contributing on your team. So that's culture, marital status, uh, education. It's a bunch of things that exist that you don't really discover or know until you connected with someone and had a conversation similar to how Dr. T had with me. Got to know me through who I was invisibly. Like what you don't know, you must ask questions about. And so I tell the the students in my classroom again and again, that as leaders, it's important that you live below the, the, the level so that you can get to know a bit more because those, the, the difference between, as you know, COVID, COVID impacted us and taught us a lot. It taught us how to be ready in ways that we hadn't considered before. But now that we've experienced the pandemic and now that we know that there are some people who suffered silently, people who have now no family members to go to, they live alone and they have no one anymore that type of invisible diversity now exists. We have people who have relocated to places that they never thought they would live. Um, Their economic status has significantly changed. There's so many invisible differences. And so how we communicate to someone is one to never assume that just because your household is great, that someone else's is. That you survived COVID, that someone has survived it in the same way. That my culture and the language I choose to use casually or professionally that my variation, whether I code switch or whether I, you know, decide to mask who I am, all that matters. And not everyone, no matter how much we look alike on the top surface, on layer one, we are still not the same. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me maybe like a fourth grader, like why, why does it, why does it matter so much, right? The surface level, you know, you can see somebody's gender or, or race, that kind of thing. But why does this uh, below the surface, you know, uh, matter so, so much? Yeah. So I can use my son who's uh, in actual seventh grade. And I think that's so funny. He's in seventh grade right now. Hopefully not in detention. <laughs> I'm good, Jen. He, as an example, the walk from the bus stop back home, you're with your friends. Mm-hmm. Imagine this, you're having mm-hmm. a conversation and everyone's talking about their plans for the weekend. Um, sure. What he knows based on communicating with him, so he's situationally aware, is that I happen to know that one of his uh, uh, playmates or his, uh, you know, friends has a challenge at home and that the family is going through a transition. How you position your conversation to talk about your weekend and the excitement of that may be very different now that you are situation aware that someone is not as excited about their weekend. So the culture of a single parent household versus a two parent household, 
that sounds very different and what you're celebrating and getting excited about. Um, another way is looking at it is affordability. Like we talked about economics. Sometimes what a household can afford or not afford, how you have those conversations with your friends and being mindful that everything that you're excited about, someone else may not. So it's just the mindfulness of understanding who your friends are and being aware. Now, my son is very much aware situationally about what others are going through. And he may, unlike all, all everyone's not the same, but he just happens to be the type of kid who wants to know how he could be a better friend and be more sensitive. Yeah, that that's uh, that's a clear example. It brings me back to my childhood too. You know, my mom's single mom and and raised us. And uh, you know, I know it's it's certainly a function of privilege. Um, we were able to stay in the house, right? And so, but the community where we were we were in, you know, everybody had the new Jordans. I never had a pair of Jordans, right? So that when, when I became a teacher, the first check I got and deposited, I went and bought a pair of Jordans because it just it meant something to me. But also the friends, they had like lake houses, you know, for the summer. We couldn't even imagine. I got invited, but you know what I mean? So that still is privileged. I get it. But uh, it was I was different than my peers is what I'm trying to say. So That's right. pre- appreciate what you're sharing there. And uh, I'm guessing part of like diving deeper too. Uh, and actually, I want to just highlight Doc Jones said something in he said, we'd love to hear more about how the effort's effectiveness to create windows and mirrors for our students ties to what is below the water rather than just addressing what we see. So I don't know if you have anything for uh, Chris on this, but I hear what he's uh, saying. So the idea that when you are, when you're working with your students, getting them to listen for what what they're not saying, okay, what your peers Training and and we teach our uh, students who are educators in in um in the classroom. We teach them to listen for what's not being said. So all the it, it it's beyond body language. It's mostly incomplete sentences and or the metaphors. Sometimes the use of mm-hmm. metaphors will also show you the way. But there are so many things that we are we are typically listening for what's common versus what's not being said. And I see the way to tie it together is to think through potentially by asking questions. Like, I heard you when you said this. Uh, before I misunderstand, can you please elaborate more or tell me more about what you meant here? Fill in the blank. The more we get talking, the more you'll learn. We have lost the idea of the, the benefit of patience, being waiting for the answer to come. And so we ask great questions as educators. However, we lose patience in that questioning process when we're so busy and there's so much to manage, we forget how powerful open-ended questions are. And so if at all, look at ways to ask open-ended questions to get the definitions of terms to understand what you don't understand by just simply asking, can you tell me more about what you mean by that? Um, Can you share more about what makes you, what makes this so meaningful to you? Um, Those types of questions create that opportunity to share. Yeah, so the open-ended, tell me more is a great example. Being patient. I don't know the language you just say, but basically, why does this matter to you? That's like significance. Yes, so, what makes this meaningful. What, what, meaningful, what, yeah. Yes, meaningful. Um, because it's in the meaning question, like what makes this important to you? You learn and you will hear, you'll hear fears. You'll hear disempowering thoughts or disempowering statements. You'll hear values. You'll hear all types of excitements and or disappointments. And so what makes this important or what makes this um, meaningful? 
will create that conversation. The other thing is I, I tell leaders all the time how you get time back is to get people to be clear on what they want. Most people come to you expecting you to deliver the answers to them. Tell me exactly how to win. Tell me exactly how to get this done. And you're still doing the work, but they've been hired to do that and you're doing it for them. So every time I tell you how to do something, I am now losing money as an organization or as a company. I am paying you to do everybody's job. The more accountability I push out, the more the company get a return on its investment employee by employee. So what would you like to walk away with if this time together is successful? A beautiful question to ask because then it helps you to narrow down on time or move them to someone else that can be more helpful. Yeah, that's brilliant. I love that question too. So Tawada, if you could put a message on all school marquees for a single day, what would your message be? Oh my God. In this time we're living in, Danny, I can't tell you what how much is hanging through my head right now. I can tell you that if I had a school marquee across the globe, I would say, oh, I should not have mentioned the globe. The world is such a strange place right now. I would probably say fear is a constant companion. Fear is a constant companion. It's amazing you're bringing that up because that's actually the topic of uh, an email I'm sending out today to uh, school leaders. So. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about your dream school, Tawana, right? If you were building your dream school, you were not constrained by any resources. Uh, your only limitation was your ability to imagine. How would you build your dream school? What would the three guiding principles be? Okay, so my dream school would be a school that is uh, very focused on technology. As a mathematician, as a, as a scientist and mathematician, I'm always going to be focused on What's to come? Problem solving. So my school would be built on problem solving skills. I would give them uh, skills that help them to use their hands to whether it's, you know, craft some type of craft or farming. Um, I would also have them um, be introduced to technology. So learning would be wrapped around using your hands. I think that with the idea of priorities is to evolve the student to be the best student for their next grade. So instead of just focusing on the grade you're in, I want to build a student that's preparing themselves for leadership at the next level. And so using their hands, exposing them to what's to come, problem solving what's to come, it would be the gift I would give back to the world. Brilliant. We've covered a lot of ground today, Tawana, and everything we discussed. What's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? Oh my God, do it even when, when you're scared. <laughs> ruckus makers when you're to be again I talk about being a disruptor I, I in the beginning it was a negative thing I became a positive disruptor I did it scared I did it when I was afraid I did it no matter what because I knew that it was my purpose and your purpose is always going to be wrapped up in some type of fear and so I say just do it do it anyway Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. 
If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.